The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Community with others. And so I do sometimes I do a little bit of teaching, sometimes guided meditations. And a big chunk of what we do usually is we um, a chance for you guys to have discussions among yourselves, sometimes paired up, sometimes in small groups, because it's the discuss- in discussion and in, in talking yourself, you hear yourself, you can process things, you can integrate it, you can make it your own, um, be challenged by it in a very different way than if you simply hear someone sit up here and carry on a long Dharma talk. However great the Dharma talk is, um, the, um, I think a lot of the value comes from being in interaction around the topic. And uh, some people find that the, the kind of conversations we have here in these Dharma da- practice days is, are more meaningful than most conversations they have in ordinary life because it's often, you can't have these kinds of conversations with friends in a focused, clear way. Um, uh, so um, that's kind of the approach. And we have... Um, um, but at any time, if you don't want to be participate from in the conversations and whatever, you're welcome to step out and you know, sit and meditate or just you know step away and then come back in. The um, and the topic is um, the Eightfold Path, in particular the factor called right effort. And as I said this morning, right effort has to do with um, the effort we make with our minds or how we take care of our minds. I like to think of it is that. The quality of our mind, or heart if you prefer, is one of the most important uh, features of our human life, maybe the important assets we have, important treasures we have. And to be the caretaker of the quality of our hearts and minds is a, could be said to be kind of the whole purpose of Buddhist practice, the, um, or a very essential purpose of it. The, um, um, you know, and the simplistic way of talking about in Buddhism is that Buddhist practice is about ending, ending suffering um, and uh, finding out how not to suffer and instead be happy and free. And the suffering that we're addressing is mental suffering, inner suffering, heart suffering. It's not necessarily the pain you can experience because you stepped on a nail or your back is out, but rather it's the reactions and responses of the mind and the heart that somehow um, cause us psychological pain. And so it's this inner landscape, this inner ecology that we're addressing. And, and so the topic of right effort has to do with how do, how do we safeguard the quality, high quality of our mind? How do we care for the quality of our mind? How do we um, not continue living with a low quality, but try to get a high quality? If suffering is low quality and happiness is higher quality. So this caretaking, safeguarding, caretaking for the quality of our hearts is, I think, one of the great um, activities of human life. And so the topic of right effort is or the, it's, it's a practice. Each of these eightfold paths is a practice. And so the practice of right effort has to do with the, uh, the practice that supports improving the quality of our, of our hearts and minds. Uh, in the classic Buddhist discussion, it's the effort that we take that uh, supports us um, of moving the mind in the direction of freedom, of liberation. It has to do with uh, classic language. It has to do with uh, 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 tending to the state of our mind, the state or the quality of our mind. And, um, and there's four efforts that uh, are defined. 
they're described. The word effort is an interesting one. Um, sometimes people, when they talk about effort, uh, refer to more like the energy that we apply. But I think here the effort means the endeavor, what we're endeavoring to do, what we're actually doing with our mind, as opposed to how we're doing it. How we're doing is very important, like with too much effort, too little effort. But the word in Pali is bayama, can mean endeavor. Even sometimes people translate it as striving. So that what we're trying to do with the mind. So it involves beginning to come conscious that the mind is something that we have some control over, or some mastery over, some choices over. And what are the choices we make? How do we address? How do we engage with what we're trying to do? So um, some people, uh, what they're trying to do is to be better at being angry. You know, or some people are what they're doing, what they're improving on is improving their capacity for greed or ambition by the habitual repetition of certain things. Some people are practicing fear. And uh, the the unfortunate thing is that it seems like anxiety and fear is out of your control, but to the degree to which we stay involved in fear and anxiety, we're also reinforcing the tendency to be anxious and afraid. So even though we're trying to overcome it, sometimes anything we, we do regularly gets kind of starts getting kind of wired in there. And so do we really want to shape, condition the mind, the heart, uh, by the things that we regularly do? Is that really useful for us? Or do we want to be involved in other things that influence, shape the quality, the characteristics of our own hearts and minds? And so um, it talks about four endeavors, four things you can do with the mind that are kind of broad categories. I think I meant to kind of encompass it all. And before I tell you what they are, I'd like to say that I think these are very common uh, endeavors that we all do already. So when you hear this, you don't have to think, oh, this is a Buddhist thing. You know, these Buddhists. You know, they're always kind of messing up with things. But actually, you're probably already doing these things. You just, maybe you don't call it this way, you don't think of this this way. And um, so first I'll try to get from memory, give you the, the more or less the traditional wording of it which probably by the time you, I get finished with it, uh, you probably most of you have zoned out. <laughs> so, so, you know, you've been forewarned if you get zoned out that this is, <clears throat> you know, often the effect of this, <laughs> this kind of wording. So, um, to, um, <clears throat> so the first effort is to um, prevent the arising of unskillful states of mind that have not yet arisen. The second effort is to um, abandon the unskillful states of mind that have arisen. The third is to cultivate or arouse the skillful state of minds, mind that have not yet arisen. And the fourth one is to cultivate and maintain, to maintain the skillful states of mind that have arisen. And uh, that's from memory, so it's actually more succinct than how they're actually written in the Pali, I think. So maybe, it was, maybe you didn't zone out enough. To... <laughs> and, um, so there's four efforts, and they're usually sometimes they're labeled and uh, called, titled by single words. So the first one is called preventing. The second is abandoning. The third is arousing or cultivating. And the, uh, and the fourth is to maintain. So to prevent, 
abandon, <clears throat> arouse, and maintain. Uh, Donald Rothberg, many years ago, um, gave a talk on these four efforts, four right efforts. And someone came up to him and said, oh, uh, uh, I'm a kayaker in Alaska. And this is exactly what we do. Um, we, we, practice, uh, we practice staying out of trouble. So if you're a kayaker in Alaska, you better, you know. Or you say, we practice, if we're in trouble, we get out of trouble. And then we practice uh, staying out of trouble. And then we practice um, uh, uh, skills that are helpful, at, you know, good, good kayaking skills, and then we maintain the skills. So, um, so, if, if, um, so we avoid getting into trouble. We, if we're in trouble, we let go of it, we get out of it, and then we develop skills to stay out of trouble, good skills, and then we maintain those skills. That's one way of understanding it. Um, so, in terms of the mind, uh, we try to, uh, the first effort is to prevent the arising of unskillful states, unskillful activities, unskillful thoughts that, might, that have not yet arisen. So, you're going around minding, minding your own business, and, um, and um, you know that if you look at fashion magazines that you'll f- get depressed. There's, apparently <laughs> There's been a study that uh, one of the, you know, that, that one of the common consequences apparently for women uh, of looking at fashion magazines is to get depressed uh, because, you know, chances are you don't have that kind of body <laughs> that is being, you know, so... So, um, or there's other things, right? Or if you, you know, if you, uh, you know, you know that every time you look at a computer magazine, you rush out to Fry's computer and you buy the store. Well, and then later you bring everything home, you realize, what did I do? I don't need 32 computers. And so, so, you, so you know that certain sense, uh, sense data, some input, affects you in a certain way that's, that's deleterious to you. So the practice of preventing might be that you, can, uh, you prevent your depression, you prevent excessive buying, if you are very careful, about how, judicious about how you view fashion magazines or computer magazines or different kinds of things because you know it's not helpful for you. It doesn't create a good state of mind for you. Or, um, you know, the... The attra- some people the attraction of the news is um, on the computer it's so easy to click on the news thing and get the latest news and to check it all the time and what, what effect does it have on your mind and how, do you, how you know, are you going to remember it in a week and how much do you need to track the news is this the best time and so you know, what effect does it have on you there might be a desire a certain kind of serotonin rush maybe but checking the email as soon as you hear the ping that someone sent you an email, uh, you're we'll be all becoming, some of us are becoming Pavlovian computer users. Bing, I better go check that email. And, um, but is it really, you know, what, what effect does it have on the mind? And is it tiring the mind in certain ways? There's certain pleasure in checking, but it also tires the mind. So to understand <clears throat> uh, the impact that certain things have on us, and then learning how to prevent 
the, the activities that create, uh, that lower the quality of our mind. That's the first right effort. So preventing uh, the mind from, uh, you know, from certain things that it might end up doing. And, um, and uh, sometimes this is also associated with um, um, restraining. So restraining the mind. So you feel, you can notice the mind begins to want to get angry at your spouse and say something, you know, and get start spinning out. Or you find your mind starting going down a certain train of thought that you've done many times before that is deleterious. Or, you know, all kinds of things can happen. And, um, and you start seeing that the mind moves in that direction and, and you see it clearly enough. You say, I don't need to go there. I'm not going to get involved in that. And so it's, it's called restraining, you know, not giving in. Uh, I like to call it safeguarding the mind. Uh, it's you're safeguarding yourself from getting carried away by the thoughts and feelings that might arise. So this is the first right effort. And in order to be a right effort... Um, right endeavor, right thing to do, the consequence of doing this has to be beneficial for you. Because it's possible to restrain yourself and it be repression and it might come back and bite you. It's possible to avoid in such a way that you never really look deeply at yourself and see what's really going on. I've known people who have avoided things for years and years because it was just too painful to look at or they just kind of didn't think they should. or They, should, they tried to maintain everything just right so that they didn't have to look at this stuff. So is that beneficial? And I would say that's not beneficial to do it that way. Uh, or sometimes the preventing is so tense that yes, you avoid uh, a consequence you don't want, but what you get in return is you get all this tension and resistance and thing. So in order for right effort to be right effort, it has to support you, help you to have a higher quality, to be more at ease, more at peace, uh, happier, bring a sense of well-being. It's beneficial for you to do it. So part of then of the function of right effort is to begin tracking yourself, monitoring yourself, to know what's going on in the mind, to know what cause and effect relationship is between things, to know what's not what's useful to avoid um, because it creates un, un, it's not, the effects on you are not beneficial, and to do that in a way that uh, feels wise and useful not in the ways that are, uh, you know, that are deleterious to you and also sometimes to the people around you. If you just become more and more uptight because you're so narrow and held and avoiding everything at all costs and demanding everyone else to do the same thing. So that's the, that's the first of the right efforts, that of avoiding or preventing uh, these unskillful states of mind to arise. So a few, a few words about the word unskillful and skillful. Uh, the word is kusila and akusila, and the ah is then not, it's unskillful. And, um, and the most common ethical um, evaluation in the Buddhist teachings is this, is it skillful or not skillful? As opposed to is it right and wrong? Even though it's called these, the, the eight right, eightfold path or all right in the front, um, it doesn't mean right in the usual English way of right and wrong. So the idea of right and wrong is abstract. Right and wrong is somewhat judgmental and absolute. absolute. Uh, good and bad also is kind of vague, but also is kind of, kind of absolute. Um, skillful is not so absolute. Skillful asks the question, is it beneficial? Is it useful? Um, is it helpful? Is it healthy to do something? And, um, and so it doesn't have the same kind of weight, ethical or moralistic weight, 
that uh, sometimes people use for moralistic decisions. But is it useful for you? Is what you're doing useful? So you could say, we're going to prevent states of mind or activities of mind which are not useful. Unskillful means it's not useful for you to have them. Uh, it might it might be pleasant, it might be good in and of itself, it might be innocent to have it, but it's not useful to have it, to do it. As opposed to, I'm a bad person because I'm thinking this way. Um, it is what it is, but it's not useful. And so let's, um, let's find, since it's not useful, it seems obvious then, if it's not useful, let's not do it. Um, if you say it's bad, you're a bad person for doing this, um, maybe you'll come back with all kinds of arguments. Yes, I'm bad, but I like doing it anyway. <laughs> and, um, but if you say it's unuseful, not useful, then maybe you'll step back and, well, if it's not useful, then, then what's the use of doing it? Something like that. Make some sense? So I, th- I would propose that all of you now have some experience of doing this. This is not like a, like a peculiar Buddhist thing. I think that um, uh, there's probably ways in which you do this all the time. Like um, many years ago now, um, I got for a short period of time, I got, int- I got interested in watching football on TV. <laughs> and uh, after watching a whole game one day, you know, three-hour game, I, I, maybe I'm peculiar, but I felt drained. I felt like I didn't feel good. My mind was kind of buzzing, and I didn't feel good. And it's too much beer. Too much beer, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't have any, I didn't have any beer. Maybe it's all the chips. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, but I think it had to do with just watching. Somehow, I, I'm not, or maybe I'm not built with the constitution that allows for that kind of activity. But I just, did, I, I just didn't feel good afterwards. I just got kind of yucky. So that was kind of the end of my football career. <laughs> maybe if I'd given more chance, maybe if I'd built up that muscle, and you know, I'm, just, I'm just a TV weakling. But in any case, the... Um, you know, so I saw that it wasn't this, it's not nice for me, so I kind of stopped doing that. So, you know, so, you know, I'm sure there are ways that you, you've done this. You've, see, you've seen the effect something has, and you, now you avoid that kind of activity because it's not useful. So, rather than, um, so I think what might be helpful now, in terms of getting into this topic and maybe being inspired by the possibilities of this area, and um, and how it might be, you know, it's you know, it's how it's you know, to get some sense of how it's Buddhist practice as well, and how it functions in Buddhist practice. I thought it'd be nice for you guys to have discussions in small groups now, and for you to go around and share a brief account, brief presentation, presentation on how already it's been beneficial for you to practice avoiding, preventing, restraining how you have safeguarded your well-being by avoiding certain things, your inner well-being, your psychological well-being, by avoiding certain things, prevent, you know, by preventing certain, prevent, you know, preventing these unskillful states to arise, <coughs> avoiding, restraining, doing something. What have you done already? And um, how, has it been, how, has it, how has it been beneficial for you? Now, it's possible that you could come up with examples of how it's not been beneficial for you to do that. And some of you, uh, sometimes there's a very quick tendency to go in that direction. Yes, but let me tell you about what it didn't work. Let's keep it on the positive right now. How, with examples of how you think it's really been beneficial. And the idea is, uh, is to learn from each other, by the, maybe be inspired from each other, stories you may say, 
And then, um, it doesn't have to be very dramatic. It doesn't have to be like a big story. It could just be that, you know, like, like when I lived in San Francisco and drove down to the peninsula on a daily basis, it was faster to go on 101, but I arrived more relaxed if I took 280. So that, that so I avoided 101, and then that made me feel better. Something like that simple. Um, and um, but the idea is, each of you, when you speak, make your your your, your what you have to say relatively brief, um, so that uh, everyone has a chance and go around the circle. And because as it's relatively brief, you're going to uh, give a chance to go around a few times. And as you hear everybody else, it's going to spark something in you. Something new, reflection, new understanding, remembers, oh yeah, that, that's how, I have something, now, now I remember something else. And then, you, uh, and then you'll, when it comes back to you, you can offer that. And there's a group process that's going on, and you're contributing to the process. If you monopolize the time, have a long, long story, you can explain how it all works, um, you're not going to benefit from it so much, because this is the time when uh, you're going to benefit when you start hearing other people, but you have to contribute to the group process by sharing your thing. So it doesn't have to be just two words, but um, you know, try to keep it short so you can go around a few times. And that's uh, you'll see, interesting to see what evolves as you go around and around. Does that make some sense? Yes? Do we just mean prevent or also... Just, right now, just prevent. It's the first, the first right effort is to prevent. Preventing the arising of unskillful states that have not yet arisen. So you're going along, you're just cool and fine, and now you're, you're, you're okay, and you're going to do the things that prevent you from losing that by getting this unskillful state, unuseful state, quality thoughts from arising. Because you know yourself well enough. You know what, does it make sense? And um, so I think that... Um, uh, I think we should try groups of five. And so, uh, um, so please do the effort to count off the number five so that uh, some people, sometimes people kind of quickly go to groups of six for some reason. Let's, let's try groups of five. And if you don't find a group of five uh, to sit into, walk towards the front. That'll help. And then it'll help, help the people uh, sort out if there's less than a multiple of five. And you can start once you're in a circle. Stay where you are. So what I had in mind now was that, uh, assuming that you were going around in this kind of way, that um, now spend five minutes just kind of debriefing with your group, just whatever open conversation you'd like to have with your group. that like? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Yeah, so... Mike? Hello? Um, that actually was fun. <laughs> and um, useful. I think we each felt like we could relate to everything everyone else said. And I think Tom made a, an interesting observation that's worth sharing about that, that Tom, what'd you say? It was about the, pre- <laughs> the, the prevent the about, about prevention. S- spoke immediately to a behavioral change. Stay here, you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it just came up as we were talking that prevention is inherently proactive. You must have already realized there's something that you want to prevent, and and then a number of us shared behavioral solutions we came up with that would that would help prevent those things from arising. So it got very concrete. Great, great, wonderful. I'm going to, I was in that group, and I want to share the one that came from you, Gil, so you know that sometimes what you say people really take to heart. (laughs) And and this was during our January retreat. And a lot of us, if you haven't been on retreat, it can be very trying at first. But um, so a lot of us were dealing with being in a situation that wasn't really what we had expected or wanted it to be. And and so um, Gil shared this story where when something came up that he didn't like, he would like look at his watch and say, oh, right on time. <laughs> Think about that for a second. <laughs> Instead of judging it as being awful and it shouldn't be that way, it's like, oh, yeah, that happened right on time. <laughs> and um, so thank you for that. Great. Another group? Sally, is it your hand? Can we pass the mic over to... I think many of us shared, um, if there was a theme, and there was a bit of a theme, uh, we shared being in relationship with groups and people that um, we would have realizations that after a while... It wasn't serving us any longer. And, um, and then discussing, um, trying not to be in judgment of those people because it's so easy to position, you know, they're wrong, I'm right, they're not, you know, that to find that knife's edge to be, like, just open and, and acknowledge what, you know, what was going on. And, and um, so I think that's, that was our theme. That was our theme of, of looking at that and how to take care of ourselves in that. Great, good topic. Thank you. One of the things that we came to the realization of was that um, we made an effort to either, in avoiding a negative situation for us, to go in the direction of a positive situation, or to avoid going in a certain direction um, that would not be beneficial 
okay, or skillful. Yes. Okay? And um, then in our latter discussion, um, we were talking about that we do have choices. And that, and I happen to say, well, sometimes I don't see that I have a choice, especially if I'm going in a suffering or negative way. And then someone else mentioned, so one of the steps is first awareness, awareness that we're in this situation, and then also being aware that there are other choices other than what's going on at that moment. Wonderful. So it takes... It takes Mindfulness, self-monitoring to see where the choices are. See that you have choices. And it takes self-monitoring to know, to learn from past experiences so you know how to be wiser in the future, like prevent certain things in the future. So, great, thank you. So to Anna there on the stage. Here to your right. Um, One theme that came up in our group was avoiding things that would create um, not so much a negative quality of mind, but a negative quality of a relationship with Mm. another person. And I'm not sure whether that's really on topic or not, but many of us had examples of behaviors that we might engage in that we knew were not effective or beneficial to the relationship, like giving advice unasked for or being bossy or things like that and how we refrain from some of those to benefit the relationship. Chances are that if you tracked what was going on in your own mind when you wanted to do those things, one of two things, either the quality of your mind wasn't so good when you were ready to give advice, be bossy, Uh, it wasn't quite the best place to come from, maybe, or the consequence that comes comes back to you is not going to be so beneficial because maybe the person, you know, the relationship gets a little bit strained and you feel bad internally because of that. Great, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the um, idea of looking at our quality of mind as we're about to engage in that behavior that uh-huh. we don't think will be beneficial. Yeah. And I think that's worth looking at. Can we take the other mic here? actually did just the um, opposite that, that, that what, uh, what Anna was describing we talked about what happens when somebody comes at us with a critical comment um, or tells us what to do and then how the different what, what options are open to us in terms of responding because the our you know the I think our shared impulse was to you know hit back or something so we we were just interesting that those were the two opposite uh-huh. sides yeah. of a coin. So, um, after having this discussion about these beneficial ways in which you've used prevention in your life, does this cast a different perspective on your reflections from the first half of the morning where your relationship to your mental activity Does this change a little bit how you think about it for some of you? And specifically, does it give you a little more positive relationship to mental activity, doing something than maybe you had earlier? 
Yeah, the first question uh, earlier in the day, um, I felt like I was totally being led around by my mind. Uh, In the second question, I realized there's a lot of stuff that I do to prevent getting myself in trouble. So that was very nice. (laughs) Over here. Yeah, in the first um, part of the morning, I was uh, just, you know, going down memory lane about what I did and um, my my attitude to how I plan things ahead and what's going on there. So it's more like reminiscing, but in this most recent part, at least in our group. Um, I I was just feeling so energized, like, you know, this is what I do, and um, yeah, I can take this on, and I can make a difference and make changes, and so it's like now I'm all aroused, (laughs) ready to go. Um, So for me, it you know, hearing my fellow group members and um, and sharing was like, there's a lot of ways that I as she was saying, you know, take care of myself by my knowing ahead of time what the trouble is going to be. And and now that I'm, you know, in touch with that, I realize, my gosh, that's... I do have a strong influence over my mind, and I feel encouraged and um, emboldened to pursue this. <laughs> Great. Wonderful. One thought I had about the, that relationship is that um, I've become aware of how fluid and ever-changing the, my mental states are. So that can be used, my awareness of that can be used to my benefit, knowing that I might feel very irritated or frustrated, but knowing that probably half an hour later I've gotten the whole thing, that I have a choice as to whether to make a big deal out of it or not. Great. So we can choose sometimes how we relate to it, what's going on. Great. So, um, um, so this is nice. The, um, uh, so this, uh, the, so the, the traditional wording of these four right efforts has to do with unskillful and skillful and what I want to add to my comments earlier is that part of the advantage of this word skillful is that um, it refers to skill. Uh, as opposed to good and bad or right or wrong, it actually refers to capacities or functionings that we have, abilities to do. So you can develop a skill. Um, and so, so what we're talking about is things that we can develop and cultivate, uh, skills, skill sets, you can develop a skill of monitoring yourself. You can develop a skill of understanding how things impact you. You can develop a skill to uh, prevent, to let go. You can develop a skill to kind of be the caretaker of your, the quality of your inner mind. Um, so, so it might be skillful to do something else. Do, you know, something might be skillful to do, but it's a skill. So if you say, it'd be good to do something else, then it's like, oh boy, you know, if I don't do it, I'm bad. It's, it's skillful to do something. Uh, well, I can't quite do it because I don't, my skill set is not strong enough. I think I need to practice. So the, the language of skills implies this idea that, um, that we don't have to be perfect, 
but we're developing, we're cultivating, we're strengthening certain capacities, and we're working towards something. Um, and so this idea of developing a skill set is a very important one in this kind of evaluation. So with that, um, let's have our lunch break. And it's uh, about 12.25.